Welcome to Deconstructing Gaslighting, where today, my guests and I are going to have an important conversation around systemic and collective gaslighting. In my passion to help people find and live from a place of true freedom, this can be one of the hardest places to undo the effects of gaslighting. Join me and my amazing guests as we laugh, share personal stories, geek out, and give some super helpful tips to break free and effect change, both personally and systemically. I'm Sarah Morales, the host of this podcast, and I wanted to invite you to come follow me on TikTok. I'm putting out some fun, but also very informative content, and I believe it can only add to the things we're learning together. My handle is Sassy Sarah Deconstructs, and I'll have the link in my show notes. So for the word of the day today, I wanted to do something a little bit different because in our conversation, my guest today identifies four A's that are going to really help us. And two of them are the words amend and atone. And I think it's important to describe the difference, both as something we must do and as something we get to require from those who have gaslit us, broken trust with us, betrayed us, et cetera. According to wikidiff.com, as verbs, the difference between amend and atone is that amend is to make better, while atone is to make reparation, compensation, etc., for an offense or a crime or a sin one has committed. So make better and repair. And I want to focus one second on that make better part. That's called raising the bar, sis. And the both and here is that we get to ask for it as much as we do it. We get to ask for the bar to be risen in our relationships for what it takes to be able to you know, trust someone, et cetera. Okay, so let me get into introducing you to my guest. My guest today is Bella J. Rockman. Bella is a social scientist, neuropsychotherapist, and mental health media correspondent. She uses the time she spent in law school, experience working in newsrooms and clinical brain-based training to better understand clients' perspectives. She integrates EMDR, CBT, and trauma recovery models into her work. Her experiences studying abroad in over 17 countries offers her widely recognized intercultural, global, compassionate, yet direct approach. Okay, so that's her official bio, but I've known Bella for many years, and let me tell you, in addition to all of those things, she's a hilarious, inspirational, exceedingly powerful woman, and I just know y'all are going to love her and the magic she brings today. Welcome to the show, Bella. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. I'm excited to be here, Sarah. You are uh, like family to me and colleague mm -hmm. and also friend and sister. So thank you for yeah. having me in the building, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So for my listeners, Bella and I have been trying to get together to record this podcast episode for a while. Um, and you know, <laughs> I've been in this thing lately. I had a, 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 um, a guest a couple of weeks ago where I'm like, you know what, we're just going to scrap this and do something different because it's my podcast and I can do what I want. <laughs> so today, <laughs> um, you know, I really wanted to do something a little bit different and I want to have a conversation with this woman. Y'all, she is, as I said in the bio, she's just an amazing person. And, um, 
given her life's journey and so many different things, I just really feel like she has some stuff to bring to us today. And so I wanted just to invite you all to listen in on this conversation that her and I are going to have. Um, and, you know, I kind of wanted to start the, the overall arching theme, of course, is going to be this kind of systemic and um, collective gaslighting, um, which I broached in a couple of different podcasts a little bit in like kind of zooming in or, you know, doing little snippets. But I, I really just wanted to approach this a little bit differently and let us and my listeners hear what it sounds like when two people <laughs> who are passionate, well-educated women, right, who are in this world, in the helping professional world, talk about what they're seeing and what they're experiencing in their own lives. And I, I really, really want to uh, make sure we spend some time talking about what happened today for you, as well as, for me, the race issue. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, I was talking to my wife, Melanie earlier about this and, um, you know, for those of you who have heard my podcast where I talked about some of the political stuff, <laughs> um, know a little bit of my history when it comes to the Afro African American or black culture, having grown up where I did until I got to private school. I want to say at least 50% of my closest friends were black or African American. Um, and for me, like waking up to my white privilege. And understanding some of these things have, first of all, it was hard, right? Because I'm like, I'm not racist, <laughs> right? Like I have friends and like all of these things, but I don't have to, you know, see myself as better than to be a part of the systemic problem, right? And I think that's part of what we have to understand is some of these nuances and like set aside our ego, set aside, you know, any kind of defensiveness and just be willing to learn. And, um, you know, because for me, I think there's, there's a, a real big difference. Again, I was, I was telling Melanie about this. Um, I used to love to go to movie theaters, um, mm. in the, in the parts of Milwaukee, that's where I grew up that were a higher percentage of African-American black people mm. because in that culture, <laughs> what I noticed was more interaction with the movie. Oh, we're right? in like the movie. It, no, we're actually exactly. in it. Like, run, right? girl, now. Yes. <laughs> Don't go and back was, to the forest. <laughs> yes. It was amazing. Like, you know, it was just a different experience. It felt like more involved and mm -hmm. I laughed more and I just enjoyed things more. And I'm not quite sure what it is about the, you know, the freeness um, to speak in that setting. Um, but I did notice that there were differences. But for me, I enjoyed them. Right. So again, when when stuff started to happen in my world where where I was first being introduced to this concept of being a part of this, you know, system that mm. propagated and perpetuated <laughs> things that I was so against, I was like, okay, I, I need to I need I need to do something here because uh -huh. this is not okay with me. I don't uh -huh. want to unknowingly be a part of this system. Uh -huh. Right. And it's and it's hard because it is systemic and it is collective and it and it takes that extra level uh -huh. of awareness and insight and diligence and intention uh -huh. to deconstruct that. Uh -huh. Right. Uh -huh. So let me pause there and just like riff, girl. Like, what do you want to say in response to my opening? Uh, I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that you did, and I think it mm -hmm. just I did so. I, 
not only do I believe in alchemy, like I know alchemy is a thing and I know I'm an alchemist. And I, a few mm-hmm. years ago, I was like, I really want to lecture at UT because I really love lecturing and I love college campuses. And I mm. am, I got maize and blue in my blood, University of Michigan. We are very fanatical. I'm not going to apologize for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So back off. Yes. And that being said, with the Big Ten, I mean, like seriously, we have some of the best athletic programs, law mm. programs, medical programs, engineering programs. So we're not just saying it because yeah, we... um it's well earned. Okay. Yeah. So that being said, um, and I don't even know, I digress in the university of Michigan. I forgot. That's how much I love my school. Um, but I was on <laughs> campus. Okay. There Amazing, we go. Huh? I was on campus. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm first gen to one of the first gen undergrad. Cause I come from like, I'm like a fourth generation entrepreneur. So okay. everybody from my bloodline, um, and I was the youngest of four. I am the youngest of four. Mm-hmm. Boy, girl, girl, girl. Okay. And I was an old soul. So mm-hmm. all the elders and all the people told me everything. I was a therapist mm-hmm. before I was a therapist. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and they told me because I would actually listen. And I'm also yeah. by nature just very like hermit crab. Like I love people fiercely and I enjoy mm-hmm. people, but there's very few people that I want to be in their company extended mm-hmm. periods of time. It's nothing personal. Mm-hmm. I just like people low doses. So as a kid, if I could be talking mm-hmm. to the elders while they're making cornbread or making whatever the mm-hmm. holiday things are, or just any given Sunday, we got together a lot. It was actually a nice reprieve for me because I didn't have to go be go be around all the little charcoal kids or cousins. I love you cousins. Mm-hmm. For those of you that are listening, you know that. <laughs> they're like my bonus siblings so don't come for mm-hmm. me <laughs> mm-hmm. but as a kid I was like ah, they don't want to talk about deep things like I want to mm-hmm. hear about like life like tell me what's going to help me transcend mm-hmm. so I've always thought like that but as a result I also know I know a lot about our lineage and so I focus in my practice on intergenerational healing nutritional psychology mm-hmm. and uh, trauma recovery and that mm-hmm. trauma can be relational trauma, can be sexual trauma, can be religious and spiritual mm-hmm. trauma, can be institutionalized trauma through academia, healthcare. It could be I work with military vets or families. It could be post-traumatic stress or CPTSD, complex uh, post-traumatic stress disorder um, from military, natural disasters, school violence, shootings, political trauma, on and on. Right. It could be little mm-hmm. T, it could be big T. So my lineage, fourth generation entrepreneur, uh, Everybody, I guess everybody's way out of the situation of ridiculousness that is called Jim Crow Mm. and other things was like, all right, we're going to find a skill. We're going to make a skill. We're going to like hone it and we're going to be great at it. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of thing. And I kind of broke that cycle and all cycles that are broken are not negative cycles. Yeah. We use that term cycle breaker as like it's inherently breaking something negative. It could be just mm-hmm. a positive or just a change in the a deviation from the standard norm. Oh my God, my stats class actually paid off. But it could be a deviation <laughs> from the norm, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So I was a deviation from the norm because I was like, I really want to study. And my God family had a big impression in my life. Most of them were in medical health care. And I just was okay. like, I really wanna, I was like, I really wanna study something and and get clinical knowledge and skills. So University of Michigan for me was a freedom point mm. in many ways because I had done something that I was told that I probably couldn't do. Not that they were trying to be negative, but it was just like passe. Like you could make more money doing what we're doing. We're all mm. you know, I got an insurance agency, I got a dental office, I got a shoe repair shop, I got a record store. My parents were in Motown, my my biological parents, mm-hmm. as I refer to them. Motown, they had all these 
Jackson 5, Smokey Robinson, this person, that person, Prince, mm-hmm. like just people that you read about. My mother, yeah. my biological mother went to school with Diana Ross in Detroit. Oh, wow. Like high school. She's in her yearbook. So I said all that to say going to that school was like a big moment for me. And mm-hmm. um, that's part of the reason I love it so much. But in addition to that, as we're talking today, I'll be sharing some clinical like perspective. I'm a social scientist. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I look at patterns and behavior and outcomes Mm -hmm. and um, I'll be thinking about things from an anthropological standpoint. And then I'll also be thinking about my personal experiences. So yeah, they'll be interwoven. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's awesome. Um, So thank you for giving, you you know, some context. I always love that when my guests, whether professionally or personally, give a little bit of background, right? Like okay. it helps us understand where the person is coming from and just helps us make connections. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I just love it that we're both, you know, Midwestern other yeah. sides, other sides of the lake, you know, uh, I think that's kind of why we got along so well quickly. And I didn't realize it till way down in our friendship. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, you're, that's why mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you're home girl. Okay. Yeah. Coming to the right. cookout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm curious for you, this is a, you know, a little bit of a curveball, but, um, when did you first kind of really start to begin to identify and recognize gaslighting in, as a part of th- something that you experienced? Okay. So one thing I want to say, you mentioned the word privilege. And some of you that are listening, especially if you grew up in Detroit around the time that I did, you might understand this. I have a really unique experience because you see me and you would maybe assume like whatever my experiences are in my context. Mm -hmm. Where I grew up was like coming to America. I mean, we didn't have our faces on money, but uh, everyone that was in spiritual, political, academic, healthcare power, they all look like me, police power. Mm. So... So when I walked in the room as a Detroiter, and we had this pride, we were right next to Canada, we were part of the North American um, slave trade on the positive side of the Civil War, where people were migrating Mm -hmm. from the South, coming to the Mm -hmm. industrial Midwest, you know the story. We were a part of that. So if I walked in a room and I looked like me, uh, it was a privilege. And we talk about good Mm -hmm. old boy systems. There was a good old system that we looked out for Mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. And if something happened, there would be five or six people running down the street just because I was there to make sure whomever was mistreating me or someone else Mm -hmm. was uh, that they had consequences. So I didn't know, I didn't know. um, I heard about racism and I know I have relatives who were lynched because my Mm -hmm. elders told me that I had been warned not to leave out of certain parts of the area in Michigan growing up. We all knew that do not if you drive through that town, there's huge Ku Klux Klan, KKK communities. So I had mm-hmm. that consciousness, but I didn't okay. have the consciousness that some people think where it's like, oh, I'm sitting on the ballast, I'm less than because this and that. Right. We felt pretty good about who we are, were, and we okay. also understood our roots. So gaslighting, though, so ra- the racism part and the understanding people's individual experiences came when I moved to Texas. Yeah. I individual bet. experiences. I knew. <laughs> Yeah. My elders, and I knew what I had heard on the street, and I knew mm-hmm. what I heard in the news, but that came personally in Texas. But gaslighting, I mean, I mean, so Sarah, this is tough because we're trained as clinicians not mm-hmm. to say anything about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 
And not only we train, that entire three to five years of residency after, mm-hmm. we are actually, <laughs> excuse me for all my behavioral counsel people, mm-hmm. like as no shade, but I, one could say that we are highly persuaded. Mm-hmm. Highly. I'll say it like that. Mm-hmm. It is, mm-hmm. it is, it is frowned upon. You do not put your stuff, don't get your stuff in the way of your client. Don't bring your stuff in the room. Don't get in the way of the work. When you go public, don't talk about mm-hmm. your stuff because it gets in the way of the, ma- it's just, it's constant programming. So yeah, me being on your show today is me taking a huge deep lip, uh, leap and dip in the mm-hmm. pool of vulnerability, both professionally and clinically and personally. Cause I'm also finna, as we say in Detroit, break the codes of conduct within mm-hmm. my origin story like most superheroes have an origin story i'm also about to break some of those because some of the things i'm going to say and i'm still going to be treading lightly i'm just telling you honestly but even the fact that i'm saying any of it Mm -hmm. is considered a disrespect a disservice to the ancestors Mm -hmm. the elders the community we don't talk about that you throw Mm -hmm. the christian part into it right forget and forgive and this and that and don't think on negative things so gaslighting definitely started my first remembrance of it was definitely in my biological family in my household for sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and just examples of even what i just talked about with codes of conduct absolutely (laughs) absolutely you know and i think it's interesting you you talked about uh, being a social scientist right like i i I loosely consider myself a little bit that way as well right i don't know that i would have called it that um but i'm a pattern recognizer Uh (laughs) is kind of, Uh you know, I think that's why my brain was able to deconstruct gaslighting the way that it does, right? Like seeing Uh how the system works and being able to see all the moving parts, you know, it's like, Uh you know, all the cogs in a grandfather clock and being able to see each one and how they Uh they twist and turn and and work together. And, Uh you know, I think for me, I, I even heard I even heard like you talking about what you were taught in school about being a therapist as a little bit gaslighty, right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause I mean, I think of different therapists that I've had come on here and share their stories uh-huh. and how powerful it is when we share our story. Now, do we need to share it in the right context? Yes. Uh-huh. Right. And do we need uh-huh. to, you know, not make it be about us? Do we share it with intent and purpose? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> like all of uh-huh. those things, but, um, you know, anyways, it's, it's no, interesting. No, I mean, I think you raise an interesting point. We talk to our clients and patients about authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and there's this idea that truth will help make you free. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, but but I've never been a conventional person. I've always been an edgy, respectfully, diplomatically irreverent, if something doesn't seem true, soul. Mm-hmm. I was like that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I think when, when we're gaslit, it's like we're asked to question our reality mm-hmm. and our experience, our truth, our feelings, our perceptions, our mm-hmm. account of something. And then not only are we ask to do that, if we push back, if it's a person that comes through the lens of power and control, which is what all abuse is about, yeah. then not only are there, we going to be asked to question ours, they're going to... um usurp their power or control or authority they're going to they're going to they're going to put that on us and say no this is what this is mm-hmm. what that was this is what you feel you yeah. got it it's like that kind of thing yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah telling you what you feel yeah so when we start talking about this 
kind of concept of collective gaslighting mm-hmm. and or kind of smushing them together, collective gaslighting and systemic gaslighting, because you need collective gaslighting in order to accomplish a systemic <laughs> gaslighting, yeah. right? Um, what do you, I know my thoughts. I'm, I'm curious of what do you see as some of the main reasons, kind of basically why it works? Like why does collective gaslighting work? How does it work in your opinion? Oh my gosh. So, and I'm going to answer this very directly. I guess okay. I'm a storyteller <laughs> though. So I'm going to uh-huh. also say this. My grandpa, William Lawrence Ware Sr. was a Navy um, submarine chaser in okay. World War II. He also explained to me early on that, you know, I can remember my, not my father, but he's like, I can remember my grandfather telling me stories about how he was a boy slave in the mm-hmm. South. Mm-hmm. Every time I say it, it gives me chills because we're so, we're just a couple of generations removed yeah. and we wonder yeah. why we have the intensity we have. But he said, to, yeah. he would open the history books to me and say, look, if you're ever in school, I want you to understand what the actual historical origins of everything are. And so mm-hmm. collective gaslighting through academia, for example, the way that mm-hmm. history or her story or our story is told. And mm-hmm. all you CRT people that might be listening to this and you are the people that are trying to shut it down or change or whatever, don't come for me until you listen to everything I'm saying. And if you do come for me, I'm actually gra- grateful because I actually want to have an intelligent conversation with you. Yeah. And I'm actually solid enough in what I feel that I can disagree with you. And you can disagree with me. But he was mm-hmm. just like, just know like the way that things actually happen and and the way that they're explained isn't exactly the way that they happen. But the only way the systems of power stay in place, mm-hmm. I always call it the handmaidens tale people. That's what I call it nowadays. Yep. You yep. got to have the enablers, the pacifiers, the ones that sign off on stuff mm-hmm. in order for it to stay in place. So, and even the people that are like, and I don't, the hear no, you know, the little monkey, hear no evil, yeah, yeah, see yeah. no evil, mm-hmm. speak no evil, they try mm-hmm. and play the saint role in the systems of oppression, whether they be sexism or racism, or classism, or ableism. I don't care. I'm against mm-hmm. all the isms, y'all. So I don't really pick yeah. one, okay? Yeah. But whatever it is, they always have to have those players on the board that are like, well, I don't, I don't really want to get involved. and I don't really know what's happening. I'm just, I'm going to stay out of it. You're, mm-hmm. you're kind of guilty by omission. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, those are some really great thoughts. I love the, um, you know, the awareness about the education piece. Again, I was having a conversation with somebody just the other day when I was like, you know, I didn't learn the same history and I'm not even that old, right? Like I'm in my my late forties, right? I'm, I didn't learn the same history, not only that, that you were aware of, but that people are learning now. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, in, in schools where books are being banned or, you know, different things like that, right? Like where, you know, I'm thinking of the in- indigenous people in this country, right? Like, and all of the things that ha- like that we were completely not aware of, right? Like yeah. as you and I are recording this, it's the day before Thanksgiving, right? And Sarah. how, you know, how hard that holiday is for me now. Right? I don't um, call it Thanksgiving and I never did. Why? Because yeah. my maternal grandmother is Afro-Seminole Irish American. So mm-hmm. all I heard was her stirring her pots and talking about how the people came and they did this to my people. The people came and they did that to my, mm-hmm. you know, people call mm-hmm. these pigtails that don't know, but my grandma did this all the time. I do this in mm-hmm. honor of her. 
So when I see the mm-hmm. pilgrim hat, no offense to you guys, but I don't see a happy-go-lucky get-together where we did yeah. like a potluck. I see a massacre of people that are in my bloodline. I feel it mm-hmm. at a visceral level. And that's another thing about assumptions. You see me, you think, oh, she's... Well, if, if people of, of Spanish-speaking descent see me, they typically think I'm Cuban or Dominican. But for the average mm-hmm. everyday American non-informed person, oh, she's black or she's brown. Right, right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But there's more to it. And there's an entire... Mm-hmm. When people tell me Happy Thanksgiving, I'm like, happy holidays. Yeah, this is Native American Heritage Month. We have, we have a month. Thank you. Right. We have, and tomorrow's Native American Heritage Day. Oh, thanks. Yes. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's what we're talking about, right? Like, so so that's definitely a way that systemic and collective gaslighting has happened. Um, I know. You know, we've talked about. Um, a little bit, we, we've hinted at religion, <laughs> you and I, right? And I know you and I uh, offline have had many conversations. Um, for me, I think it's my, one of my questions is, you know, a lot of people out there that are working in the world of gaslighting, they really focus on, um, you know, the system or um, the gaslighter, Right, which I I think is important, but for me, I'm constantly wanting to ask the question, but why are we falling for it? Mm-hmm. Right, not in a blamey victim blaming way, right. but like I'll I'll look at people who um are entrenched in some of the ways that I used to live life, yeah, yeah, um and and believe things and um and I I hold this duality, which is I understand where they're coming from, but mm-hmm. I also don't allow that to be a free pass because if I can find the truth and break out of, you know, the collective gaslighting that happened around some of the things, not all of the things, listen, some great things came out of my, you know, my youth Mm -hmm. of growing up in, you know, conservative Christian belief system, some really great, amazing, beautiful generosity, you know, hospitality, Uh you know, there are some really, so I'm not trying to diss it, but there were, there was so much fear uh-huh. So much fear that just really controlled, and you know, it was disguised, and it was said we're not about fear, we're about love, but it was really about fear. Fear. Uh, I don't know, girl. Do you know? Did you uh, ever see? For those of you who grew up um, evangelical, you might know this. Did you ever see the play Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames? No, it sounds terrifying though. <laughs> it was. It was a uh-huh. traveling show. It's last I knew it was still it still was travels around the country, and it's you know. Anyways, I could go hold another thing. But so so I'm constantly looking at why, uh-huh. what makes us vulnerable, right? Like uh-huh. I think some of it, um, when I'm looking at that pattern, like I'm thinking about the education. Well, we're vulnerable because we're, I mean, we're in us, we are in a system. We're born into that system, uh-huh. right? right? Um, so it's not like, again, it's not any fault of ours, but I think, um, you know, one of the things I talk about in my course a lot is getting curious, right? Like tapping into, but why? Asking mm-hmm. those questions that oftentimes in many places we're not allowed to ask. <laughs> uh-huh. But 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 why? Why are we why are we taught to believe that? And why is this and and why am I supposed to right like asking those questions? Like this doesn't uh-huh. make sense to me. There were so many things in my childhood where I was like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Right. And I would want to question it. And it was just kind of like, well, you know, you just got to have faith or, you know, whatever the, the kind of, you know, I think we talked about band aid, right? sweep it under the rug. The right? rug is we too talk- full and then we start tripping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. You know, I know we talked about cliche statements. 
um, <sighs> that that we've grown up with over the years. Um, uh-huh. But I think one of the most powerful ways that I have seen collective gaslighting happen is when somebody in a place of power, kind of like you said, I think that's where the the, ga- the gaslighter and collective or gaslighters and collective or systemic gaslighting happens, wants uh-huh. to keep power. They want to keep that one up, minship. Uh-huh. They want to keep that control, right? Uh-huh. That's to me pretty easy to see. So what, how does that work for us uh-huh. so, as on the receiving end. And what I have seen, especially yeah. in the last, I don't know, five-ish, six-ish years, um, is that person, that power person, uh-huh. is able to identify some core value uh-huh. that they can then threaten. Uh-huh. Right? So if uh-huh. you don't Uh kind of fall in line with this belief, this value Uh is going to be taken away from you. Uh This, this value is going to be um, violated, Uh if you will. Uh And then they push and they push and they push and they push, Uh right? So that you're so convinced and afraid that if I don't adjust my thinking to this, then what this person says is going to happen and I'm going to not have this value. I don't know. What do you think about that? That's something I've been I mean, I mulling over. I agree, and I I like what you're saying about getting curious. And I just I did an NPR radio interview a couple months ago about the neuroscience of prejudice, and it makes me think about that a little bit because I think you asked the question why it works. So yeah, on one level. There's something called cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Cognitive dissonance can actually be somewhat healthy because we can distance ourselves from things that are too intense, too painful, too complicated yep. to deal with so we can function. Yep. There's a thin line between cognitive dissonance and cognitive dissociation. Mm. And I say, and if I ever meet Jordan Peele, I'm going to be like, Jordan, we got to do this movie. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because co- collective dissociation is, I think, what we're dealing with. It's a collective dissociation. We dissociate when the brain gets overwhelmed with fear. I always mm-hmm. say to every client and patient, there's two primary forces in the world, love and fear. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I have a, a little blog thing coming out from my JRAC Therapy Institute website where I'm talking about the psychology of elections and why people get so fired mm-hmm. up, invested, yeah. erratic, whatever. So mm-hmm. from a neuroscience standpoint, a neuropsychology standpoint, <sighs> Our primitive brain doesn't know the difference between what is what is what is past, what is present, what is future, what is real, what is imagined. Mm-hmm. Which is okay. why I can mm-hmm. be watching. Uh, let's just say I'm watching a horror movie, and all of a sudden, sweaty palms, mm-hmm. butterflies in my stomach. Whew, you're mm-hmm. breathing. Your your breath becomes shallow mm-hmm. because the brain doesn't know if you actually need to run from the crazy person. Mm. Or if you're just watching it, it's real or imagined. Nor, mm-hmm. for those that are listening, when you feel triggered because you smell something, hear something, talk to mm-hmm. somebody, you're like, why am I tripping? You're not. Your prefrontal cortex goes offline to keep you safe. All the brain knows is I'm collecting data and I don't want it to happen again. To the point mm-hmm. of the ism, sexism, ageism, racism, we collect data about groups of people. And if we have mm-hmm. neural programming that says that this person is a threat, mm-hmm. Even if they're not a physical threat, maybe they're a threat to our power. So we need to keep this particular gender in a specific space. Yeah. Okay. 
it goes back to the power and control wheel that you can just Google it, guys. Look up power and control mm-hmm. wheel. And so when mm-hmm. people operate like that, our primitive brain goes into action. Our our executive function goes offline. So we can't think logically. So to the point of why does it work for people, they can't be logical right now because their brain yeah. has been hijacked by fear. Yep. And lastly, because we're we're collective people, we're tribal people. I know some people don't like using the term tribe. Some people prefer village or group or whatever. Mm-hmm. I got I got some of the blood running from my veins, so I don't care. I can say what I want because I'm talking about me. Yep. Yes, ma'am. All right. So, so, but <laughs> because we are primitive beings, here's the thing about the code of conduct with families, and this is where families use gaslighting to terrorize mm-hmm. each other in subtle and great ways, like a cult, like so mm-hmm. many churches, mm-hmm. like so many religious organizations. Mm-hmm. If you leave us, if you speak about us in a way that does not reflect the the, the presentation that we are giving to the public. If that if, and then we could probably all fill in the blank with a lot of things. If you either know somebody who's been in a family yeah. like that or a religious organization, you'll be cursed. Yep. No one's going to like you. But what the what the primitive brain tells us, Sarah Morales, it's saying that you will die. Yep. Leaving the clan equals death. So we don't know. So yep. we go through we go through chemical withdrawal. So nobody wants to go through that. So between the yep. brain being hijacked by fear, collective mm-hmm. disassociation. The prefrontal cortex being offline and not wanting to go through what feels like death, a lot of people just go along to get along and drink the Kool-Aid or they stay silent. Oh, I'm not going to get involved. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm like, I'm like that, that, that emoji (laughs) where it's like, you know, the, like the mind blown, um, you know, just to, to be able to put it that succinctly. And I, I, you know, I make up and I might do this myself too, but you know, my listeners like in the, in the pod thing, like pressing rewind multiple times to listen to that over. (laughs) I love it. I say I'm like Bill Nye, the science guy. I'm Bill Nye, the science gal. I love taking complex neuroscience and making it like kitchen table talk. Yeah. You know, this is why I was able to have a patient that was a former KKK member and we could sit mm, and hold space and I could hold space without being triggered with this older gentleman. That's amazing. I love that so much. Right. And I think it's so important because being able to understand our experience, Uh I think depending on what side of the coin you fall on, right. Uh Or what side of the story you fall on, whatever it might be. I think for, for people that have been a part, like I've never been part of the KKK, but I've been part of a system. Uh Right. And if I, because of my, my love for all of the people that I've known since I was in kindergarten, Uh right. Like Uh that could be an overwhelming sense of shame. Yeah. And oh, grief yeah. for a person like me. Oh, Sarah, right? how like, many people came to the office after the George Floyd incident that yeah. were of white American ancestry? And they're like, I, I, they didn't even have words. They're like, no. The right? level. And so yeah, it, yeah. if we don't understand uh-huh. um, how to make sense of how we could be a part of that system, but yet not yeah. know that we are a part of this system, the shame. Yeah. Will I make up be overpowering? And so, of course, it's going to, I'm going to dissociate, right? Because that's going to overwhelm, it's going to overwhelm my brain's capacity to <laughs> to understand and hold it. And, and, you know, I'll never forget um, a friend and client said to me one time, 
Um, you know, no wonder so many people close the door to awakening because it's hard work. It is. Right? You it's open the door and you're like, and holy shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what did I just open? You can't, you can't unsee it once you see the <laughs> no, truth. <laughs> right? It's, it's, you know, the matrix that's taken that red damn pill, you know, or whichever one it is. I forget it's now. It's the red but, pill. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. It's like you can't, you can't unsee it. And, um, yeah, but I think so again, being able to understand and and I think for people that are on your side, um, of people who have been at the hands, right, and and have experienced generations of injustice and I mean still to this day, to this very day, right? Um I think helps understand the part the, those of us that have unwillingly or unknowingly been a part and like you were able to sit with that former KKK person you know that's one of my passions is helping build the bridge both directions both directions right both directions right, right? so that yeah. so that people who who understand um you know white people who have unknowingly and un um intentionally gaslit Black, African American, Indigenous, any kind of person, right? Like yeah. that's not like them. It's like, oh well, shit, right? Yeah. I didn't. This is this is why, and it's not an excuse. It's that duality I talked about before. About I can understand why somebody, where somebody came from, and I can also say, if I got free, so can you. You have to do the work, right? I'm only going to uh-huh. hold so much space, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> and then understanding <laughs> that what, understanding that what. The path to each person free person's freedom like is gonna look different because yeah. of because of systemic factors and institutional factors. Yep. So maybe one person has access to certain things or resources, or maybe their voice will be heard. You know, I have a friend that's of a different hue that in the Crayola box in me. And mm-hmm. she was like, You need to just tell them X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I I, I just told them X, Y, and Z. And the last time I did that, I almost lost my life. And I did it poetically mm-hmm. and diplomatically. Mm-hmm. Hello, sir, officer. Yes, hello. Da, 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 da. You know, yeah. Yeah. same statements, completely different result. This girl was almost yeah. going toe-to-toe with the officer. And I'm looking at her like, wow, what a privilege. And she knows it because we're mm-hmm. incredibly close. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I am like just holding up a sticky note, like, help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so with the common <sighs> things that people- it is. And the common things that people say are, and I'm going to, I'm going to speak on a broad brush right now because I'm Go talking about it. survivors of sexual assault. I'm talking about survivors of, you know, racism. I'm talking about, I'm even talking about men that walk around really guilty now. Cause they are like, why do people keep saying this male privilege thing? I've had to work hard too. I don't come from money too. I'm, t- I'm talking to mm. humanity. So yeah. common things that people are that get over it. It wasn't mm. that bad. At least you survived it. At mm-hmm. least you're stronger. What doesn't make you, what doesn't kill you makes right. you stronger. Not necessarily right. true. It can also <laughs> cause a lot of mental health yeah. disorders and health dis- and diseases, physical diseases because of the stressors. Uh, yeah. You should have yeah. asked somebody for help. You don't know if somebody did ask somebody for help. 
Your girlfriend should have helped you. You don't know if she already tried. Your man should be doing more. Your parents, you should, why don't you go to your family? Some people come from systems of abuse that are like cults. They don't have families to go to, which is why abusers prey on them because they know they're vulnerable. So, oh, you should have kept your hands on the dashboard. You should have used correct English. You shouldn't have raised your voice. Maybe you didn't raise your voice. What about my great uncle who someone called him the N-word when he was in Vietnam and he came back home disabled? They said he was being deviant. He just didn't want to be called the N-word. They disabled mm-hmm. the man and dishonorably discharged him. Yeah. So what is it? Oh, you should have. We have to stop the shooting because you don't know. And so you mm-hmm. walk in somebody's shoes. And, and if you don't know, then shut up and decide if you're either an ally <laughs> or an advocate or both. Because if you're an advocate, you're going to do like Sarah. And you're going to be like, oh, we're going to march down there together. I'm going to go mm-hmm. with you. And if you're an ally, mm-hmm. you're going to say, well, let me know how it goes. I understand. Mm-hmm. I get it. But let me know how it goes. Maybe you're not going to be boots on the ground, but we have to decide where we stand. Everybody's yeah. experience hasn't been different. It's unfair to try and act like it has. Yeah. <sighs> I can, uh, you know, <laughs> I get worked up. I laugh, but I get, I get really Same. worked up because, Same. you know, it's this, again, it's this thing of like, I, I just... And I know I've heard people, so many of my clients, so many people I've had conversations with, it's just so far from something that I can grasp yeah, because it it's is. so far from it's how like I would- universe or something. Yeah. Yes. I ju- it just does not, I, I can't, it's like, please make it make sense. I cannot no, make and that's, it No, and that's the thing sense. because we know how we use a term in our- in our community, in our helping community, that's crazy making, Sarah. Yep. We can't make sense of it. It's just like my grandpa, who was honorably discharged, but he was an engineer in the Navy, which is pretty mm-hmm. competitive to get into. Uh, this is the one that his grandfather was a boy slave. He was honorably discharged, submarine chaser, engineer. Guess what his certificate said? Cook. Cook. He's a cook. Ah, uh, you cooked. Do you know what? Oh, how, wow. Do you know how devastating that was to him? Yeah. He went on to be an Olympian and a swimmer and he did great things, but that absolutely, he was just like, this, that's everything I'm saying to you is just gas. It's just, it's just, yeah. it's just the spectrum of Changing gas the lighting. Facts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, we're going to put you with the cook. <laughs> so let's shift gears just a little bit, Bella, and let's maybe help some of my listeners uh-huh. um, with identifying what we think some of the effects of collective gaslighting are. Uh Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think that's a perfect shift. I mean, I think one of the things that happens, honestly, with collective gaslighting is that we begin to demonize each other. Mm -hmm. I happen to work in an industry in healthcare and public policy and media where I happen to work with a lot of white American cisgender male, uh, you know, white Mm -hmm. American descent of a pretty wide age range, but definitely like middle age to like upper senior age. Okay. I actually want to speak a little bit for them based on their, what they're sharing. A lot of them Mm -hmm. have, have expressed feeling like this wasn't my fault. I wasn't there when the policy was written. I wasn't there when the person was murdered. I wasn't there when the person was enslaved. Um, Yeah. My parents were immigrants, da, 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 da. Like, I feel like we're being left behind now. And I think it's a difficult mm-hmm. thing because it's almost like a giant dysfunctional family of human beings. Mm-hmm. The favorite children for so long in a dysfunctional system, they're like, now we're like, they feel like they're being scapegoated. Yeah. This is where I say this. Everyone 
the, one of the effects of collective gaslighting is that it activates our amygdala so much we start to just try, we want to f- troubleshoot and find the problem that we start, we don't see ourselves in each other. I see myself in all of mm-hmm. you, everybody we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. All right. That being said, it can be both and not either or. Yes. If we could yes. just sit with that for like the weekend, folks, it can be both. You can have privilege. You can have mm-hmm. also suffered your own trauma or prejudice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a male, as cisgender, as white American, as Indian American, as black American. All I'm just saying for everybody. I'm saying the whole Crayola box. Okay. I can't name them all right now because there's too many right, variations. Right, right. Okay. So, right. <laughs> however, you can have yeah. experienced privilege. You could also have experienced your own collective trauma, individual trauma, cultural trauma. So mm-hmm. we, by acknowledging the collective role of a particular group in trauma doesn't dismiss or take away from that they mm-hmm. could have also been traumatized vicariously in different ways them- mm-hmm. themselves. So it's both mm-hmm. and this entire yeah. binary thing that it has to be all of this or all of that, I think is getting a lot of us where we're just yes. arguing across the table and we're not hearing each other. Yes. And I think for me, one of the things I would like um, attach to that, maybe not uh-huh. attached to that, um, expand. No, uh-huh. that's not the right yeah, word either. Yeah. Anyways, y'all know what I mean. Expansion. Um, <laughs> you know, well, it's less expansion and okay. I think more of a like a what to do with that. Yeah. Right. Like okay. I love, I, I want to, before I do that though, I want to highlight something you said because it was so, so, so important. And that was, doing our best to try to see ourselves in each other, uh-huh. right? Instead yeah. of focusing on what makes us different. And I know that sounds trite, but it's it's real. It's like, instead of looking at what makes us, what, how can I see myself in this person, right? I am that. And I don't, it's the I am statement. You go through your day. I am that. I am that too. Yeah. 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 And I think for me, one of the things, you know, if we think that it's possible that, you know, we might have been part of a system, right? So if we're talking about collective and systemic gaslighting, whether that's a, some sort of religious gaslighting, um, you know, family system, again, relig- I think I just said religious, um, race, uh, culture, right? Like, again, there are these different systems that perpetuate gaslighting, right? Um, if we think that we're a part of that, one of the biggest things that I think I would encourage people to do is look for the half truth. Right. So I think of these guys, like, as you're sharing about these, these, you know, men of privilege and saying, well, I wasn't a part of it. No. Okay. That's half, that's the half truth. The whole truth, in my opinion, is okay. But if you're not doing anything to change it, you're a part of perpetuating it. So you can't just stop at the half truth of, well, I didn't write that policy, so my hands are clean. No. If you are a part of that policy still being enforced, doesn't matter if you didn't write it, right? Uh-huh. So even uh-huh. if you're a part of a religion, I'm going to I'm gonna get really personal here because as a part of the LGBTQ community, the stuff I see happening in in our country scares the living shit out of me sometimes. You know, I'm a few days past the Colorado shooting, uh-huh. right? Um, so even if you don't think like some of the pastors that I've seen <laughs> on video clips saying that homosexuals should be lined up and shot in the back of the head, I've seen that. I've seen pastors preaching that not far from where I am in Texas, right? Um, even if you're not uh, believing what they're believing, unless you're doing something to stop that from being perpetuated, your hands are still dirty, 
if you're a part of that system, right? So we can't settle for the half truth, which is I'm not, and it's part of the truth. The part of the truth is you don't agree with that. And I wouldn't agree that love is love. And I'm so happy, Sarah, that you found Melanie and all of these kinds of things. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And are you speaking up when your pastor says something, if you're a part of a church where a pastor says something that is filled with hatred and bigotry? Do you stand up and say something when, you know, like we have to, I'm, I'm thinking of that quote and I'm, I'm probably not going to get it exactly right, but it's like, all it takes for evil to succeed is for the good man to do nothing. Is that an MLK quote? It feels like it is, but it it's probably not. Like I it. probably just want to assign all the good things to him. <laughs> no, it kind of, I know. No, it kind of, right. It, but, it but it's kind like of it. that thing, right? So if we think like uh-huh. we have to get curious and we have to say, is there more truth here than uh-huh. what I've been told? Yeah. And like, man, I'm telling you, what I, I see things through a, a neuropsychotherapy lens, but also trauma lens and also mm-hmm. social scientists. Half the people that are arguing and doing all these things and terrorizing each other, rather verbally, or we got our keyboard ninjas and warriors out mm-hmm. there that are just going to battle, or the people that are physically bringing physical terrorism and violence, mm-hmm. they're traumatized too. Okay. Yeah. At the same time, being traumatized does not give you an excuse to become a traumatizer because there's a lot of people who are traumatized. That's don't right. Don't go out and unleash mass trauma. And at the same time, they are traumatized. So you got to, we have to practice some type of empathy. But if we don't have empathy for ourselves, that's difficult to do. And then also there's four simple things. And I just wrote them with my pencil. Acknowledge, mm-hmm. amend, mm-hmm. atone, action. Mm-hmm. Can you say those I one more time? Down. I just wrote them down. Like just, yeah, yeah. just right yeah, off yeah. the divine dome. Acknowledge, <laughs> amend, atone, action. So that's for Love the family it. member that's listening and they feel they feel a sense of conviction. Dang, I yeah. just mistreated my LGBTQ you know, kid. Or that's for the person that's sitting listening to this is writing public policy. Mm-hmm. That's for all the people we've talked about today. That's for the friend that says, God, you were a victim of domestic violence. And I just sat on the sideline. Mm-hmm. I need to acknowledge that. I need to amend that with you. I need yeah. to tone this. And then I need to see what can I do to take action. It could be something yes. so simple. It, yes. it may not be one thing. No, it might be multiple action. things. It might but- be multiple things. It might be, have you eaten? Can yes. I send you a meal? Because when yes. you're under trauma and crisis, or give me, can I go to the courthouse with you? Or uh, do you want mm-hmm. me to make a phone call for you or do laundry or do you want me to talk to the other relatives and bring them in on what really happened? I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Just endless action steps. Endless. Oh my God. That's amazing. The four A's. That's going to go. I'm going to put it in my book. Yes. <laughs> it's coming out next year. The first edition is coming out next year. I'm excited. That's so amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, you know, I feel like that's probably a great place to kind of wrap this up. Is there anything? Yeah. You know, it's a it's a big topic, so we're not going to talk yeah. about it all, and we're not going to solve the world's problems in an hour mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, is there mm-hmm. kind of any parting thoughts other than the f- beautiful four A's that you just gave that you want to kind of leave? Thank you uh, for asking that. Yeah, yeah, I want I want to encourage people that a lot of the differences that you have with people really aren't color; they're culture. Mm-hmm. So you could be from yeah. different regions around the country, around the globe. You have more in common with certain groups and others, not color, not col- it's, it's, it's culture. I also want to just say that self-compassion, empathy is a cure for shame. That's why I could sit across from the, I call him a gentleman now because he is gentle, but from the gentleman that was talking about his days being in the KKK mm-hmm. 
and I can have empathy, which brought him to tears because empathy is a cure for shame. Shame is what evokes a lot of this anger and rage and all that. Mm -hmm. I also want to say that I can share space with you. You can be diabolically opposed to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to, I don't have to tear you apart. I don't have to come for you, tear your character apart. I can just simply say, I don't agree. Yeah. Because if I'm really rooted in what I believe, I can do that. So I think this will not be resolved in an hour or a day. We're talking (laughs) about centuries of intergenerational healing and trauma. And trauma is generational, but so is healing and compassion. I really do think compassion with clarity and boundaries is the cure. Well, Bella, as always, it's been amazing to just sit and talk with you and hear your thoughts and your stories and um, just what a what a honor to have you on the pod. Thank you for coming in today. You're so welcome. I'm honored to know you, Sarah. Ah, back at you, lady. Um, and thank you, my listeners, for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful, especially today with this important message and want me to get it in the hands of more people, please share it. Social media, direct text, whatever, share it with people, spread this word, help us undo the tangled mess that uh, systemic and collective gaslighting can be. And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening all that you already are. Take it away, Wendy. We got stars in our eyes like Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no.